This is going to be a challenge for me today. I'm trusting in the verse, open wide your mouth and I will fill it, says the Lord. Been fighting a cold all week, coming off of that. My wife even said to me this morning, man, you sound greater than you sounded all week. Until quarter of ten. No coincidence there, right? This could be a message that Satan doesn't want you to hear. This is a very, very encouraging message. This is a very uplifting message. I remember last week saying to you, this is not one of my favorite topics to speak on. That was last week. We had to speak about evil, and we had to speak about the devil and learn a little bit about him. This week, I'm very excited to bring you this message. It's the opposite of that. I'll be taking drinks of water periodically, so just please excuse me. So by way of introduction, brief review. So last week, you know, we're in this series on Acts. In Acts, around verses, chapters 23, 24 in, in that area. Last week, Paul was on trial before the governor of the province, whose name was Felix. The Jewish high priest Ananias was there. Their hired spokesperson, the hotshot lawyer Tertullus, was there at the trial. Some unnamed Jewish religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, they were there. And other disgruntled rank-and-file accusers were at the trial. These were all folks who hated Paul. These were all folks who hated Christianity, which they called a cult, and which, which they named The Way, capital W-A-Y. They hated The Way with a vengeance, even more than they hated the Romans. And the whole deal was a sham, if you remember from last week. The whole deal was a sham. None of it was true. False accusations, lies, deception. They were following, they were serving Jesus' words, their father, the devil, and his ways. And as we move through the message... We mentioned several minor, minor points of application, but we ended with a major encouraging principle, even though the topic we were discussing was not all that encouraging. The principle dealt with what do we do if we ever find ourselves in the situation Paul found himself in, that he had to be defending himself before people who hated him, not because he was a bad guy, but because he followed Jesus. Hold on one second here. So we ended last week with a very encouraging principle, just in case we find ourselves in a place where we have to defend ourselves because we're Christians, where we have to defend our, de defend our faith. What should we do? And the principle bears repeating. Don't worry about how to respond. 
or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. That is like too good to be true. It's not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Man, can I get an amen or an hallelujah or something out there? Grace in the moment. Grace for the moment. All that worrying you've been doing and I've been doing was needless. Other than Ray Keck, who never worries about anything. Oh, I'm sorry. And Deborah Robinson, who never worries about anything. You can look to them as stellar examples of the faith. So whatever the circumstances may be in your life, with whomever that we're called to share or to speak or to defend Christianity, whether it's folks who actually are in authority or some kind of position of stature, or whether it's just folks in everyday life, this principle is true and it's applicable for us. Don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. It's not even you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. To me, that's a strong, tremendously encouraging word. And oh, if we could actually just do it. I thank the Lord for saying don't worry about it because, frankly, I do worry about it. I told you last week I run all kinds of what-if scenarios through my head and waste all that energy before better praying instead of running what-ifs. What if he says this? Well, then I'm going to say that. And what if he says this? And then I'm not going to know what to say. (laughs) So I'll worry. Right. Let's get on to today's message. It's sort of a sequel to this. It's a continuation of this scenario from last week, Paul on trial. Not as many minor points as last week. However, there's going to be a primary principle at the end to close both this week and last week. The application, the principle, is intended to greatly encourage us. You don't, this, last week, you don't have to worry when you're called upon to share your faith. You don't have to worry about that. I would say one of the, not complaint, it's not a complaint. One of the most common reasonings I hear from people, Pastor, this is why I don't tell people about the Lord. That's why I don't share out there. I don't really know enough about the Bible. I'm not sure what I would say. And exactly that, what if they say this, then what do I do? And so what we've chosen to do is we'll send them to the pastor. He'll take care of it. And God's saying no. He's saying no. I mean, I love when you send me people and then they're praying to receive the Lord. I love that. But God's saying no. I gave you your pastor to teach you how to do it, to equip you that you don't have to be running to him. He's one man. We're what, 60 in here today? 70? He will give you the words in the moment. That was last week. This week is going to be, in my opinion, just as encouraging, slightly different vein, though. So Acts 24, up on your feet. Stace, if you'll come. Looks like I have that a little too low for you. No, speak right into the mic. 24, 22 to 27. Felix knew all about the way of Jesus 
so he put off the trial for the time being. Lysias, the commanding officer, will come, he said. Then I will decide your case. He ordered the commander to keep Paul under guard. He told him to give Paul some freedom. He also told him to allow Paul's friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his, right, with his wife, Drusilla. She was a Jew. Felix sent for Paul and listened to him speak about faith in, G in Christ Jesus. Paul talked about how to live a godly life. He talked about how people should control themselves. He also talked about the time when God will judge everyone. Then Felix became afraid. That's enough for now, he said. You may leave. When I find the time, I will send for you. He was hoping that Paul would offer him some money to let him go. So he often sent for Paul and talked with him. Two years passed. Portius Festus took the place of Felix, but Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, so he left Paul in prison. You may be seated. Thanks, Stace. Good job. So today's title is Favor in the Midst of Trouble. And again, as with so many of these passages in Acts, they lend themselves to what we call exegesis. We'll simply give the historical information, the facts, make some commentary on it, end with an application. It's a great way to work your way through the book of Acts, exegete, sermons of exegesis. So Acts 24, 22. At this point, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, he adjourned the hearing, and he said, wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I'll decide the case. So at that point, Paul's trial ends rather abruptly. Tertullus, the lawyer, briefly presented the accusations after some robust flattery that we saw last week, telling how Felix how great he was when they hated Felix and they hated the Romans. So he briefly presented the accusations. Paul briefly made his defense. Felix adjourned the court and Felix adjourned the courtroom. He said, wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives, and then I will decide the case. Both Ananias, the high priest, who was in charge of this thing, and Paul, they knew that Lysia was never going to arrive. Lysia was the commander of the Roman garrison that arrested Paul to rescue, arrested Paul to rescue him from the Jews back in Jerusalem. Then he had Paul transported to Caesarea, where he is now, for his own safety. After Paul's nephew, fortunately, uncovered the plot on his life. But again, in reality, Paul and, 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 Paul and Ananias both knew Lysias was not coming. And as you read the narrative, you'll see he did not. He never did come. His role, his responsibility was over, finished, complete. This trial was for all practical purposes over for now. Now, it's very easy to read over this. I don't know if you picked it up when Stacy read it aloud or not. How long was this trial adjourned? For how long was this trial adjourned? Say it. Two years. Two years would pass until this case against Paul is again opened. So meanwhile, what's next for Paul? 
What happens to Paul? Case was abruptly adjourned. Two years later, it's open. But here's what happened to Paul. Felix ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. See, Felix knew Paul was innocent. Felix knew Paul had done nothing, uh, at least nothing worthy of Roman punishment. So he adjourned, adjourned to court. But there's a couple of reasons he decided to keep Paul in custody in jail, even though he knew he was innocent. One reason was, when Paul was defending himself earlier, he had mentioned he brought monetary gifts, offerings from the Gentile churches intended for the poor in Jerusalem and the poor of the church in Jerusalem. Felix was thinking Paul may be a man of some means, some wealth here, and maybe he'll eventually bribe me to let him out of prison. So instead of setting him free, even though he was innocent, he kept him in custody. Another reason, Felix was a ruthless governor. He, what would be the word, how he worked his way up into this position, dishonesty and treachery, and, and he got into this position, and he wasn't really <clears throat> well-liked or respected. He knew he was already on thin ice with the Roman emperor Nero. These Jews, they were an unruly bunch. Contrary to Tertullus' flattery, they didn't like Felix and the Romans. And there was disorder, there was rebellion, there was civil disobedience all over the land. Can you hear me out there? Yes. Is it annoying that my voice is so cracky for you? Because yes. <laughs> I can stop and we can call the worship band up. Rome was ruthless, Nero was horrible, and yet they did not like unrest in the kingdom. They hated any kind of civil disobedience or rebellion. So Felix could ill afford any more trouble with the Jews. So to keep the Jews somewhat appeased, he kept Paul in jail for two years. There's more to the narrative, but let me just sum it up for you. And it's not because of my voice. This is actually where we're going. I want to sum up the rest of the narrative. So Felix, in hopes of a bribe, would keep calling Paul in to talk to him. But he got more than he bargained for. All Paul ever did was tell him about Jesus. Never offering him a bribe. Just told him about Jesus every time. It says so much so that Felix would come under this great conviction of his sin. But as far as we know, Felix never repented. He never converted. And at the end of this passage, he's recalled to Rome by Nero, and that's not good for him. Once he leaves this passage, he disappears from the scene, and he disappears from history forever. You wonder, all that work that Paul did, all that word he poured into Felix, did it take root? 
at some point, and will we see Felix in heaven? You just don't know. We're going to stop with the exegesis, and we're going to make application based on this verse that's on the screen, particularly the last part. Felix gave Paul some freedom, and he allowed his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. So remember the title, Favor in the Midst of Trouble. Paul found great favor in the midst of great trouble. If you've been following his life, you see this principle work out. God is so faithful to Paul. He's so faithful to his servants. And whether you can see it right now or not, he is so faithful to you. Incredibly faithful. It says his faithfulness rises to the skies. That's vast. That is vast. His faithfulness. We really have no clue because we're not that faithful as human beings. Sin has really corrupted us. God is faithful. You're sitting here today, whether you know it or not, or like it or not, because he is faithful. There are forces that would take your life if they were given permission. Let's take a look at the principle. Very encouraging. The promise to God's people is favor in the midst of trouble. The promise isn't trouble free. Get this voice kicked in so I can hit these notes. The promise isn't trouble free. In this world, you'll have what? Trouble. Jesus didn't go back on that. The promise is great favor in the midst of trouble. As always with God, it's win-win. You cannot lose. I think I said that to you last week. Right, Richard? You can't lose. It's win-win. Oh, man, but we're going to face trouble. Oh, man, but wait till you see what God says he's going to do in the midst of trouble. Here's the rub. You can't handle this teaching if you're living for this life and if you're living for the things of the world because there's where you're getting your, your stuff from. And so you don't want trouble. You just want a nice, happy, peaceful life and get through. So trouble is like this. And it makes no sense when James says, count it pure joy when you fall into trouble. That makes no sense to our minds. But if you're living for the kingdom and you're living for the Lord and this earth is not your home, you're just sojourning through, that's the real deal, this is all preparing you for that, then you can embrace the trouble not the trouble itself, not the circumstances, but what God says he's going to do in the trouble. What a totally different way to live. What a much more effective way to live for the kingdom. We've said it many times. Why aren't people being attracted to Christ? Because they don't see a whole lot different about us. We carry the same stuff unbelievers in the world carry. So they're like, why should I go over where you are? I'll just be over there and have the same stuff. We got to show them something different. Not oddball. Not oddball different. Something beautiful different. Something attractive. I know what attracted me to the Lord, among other things, was I met two people who had extreme confidence that they were going to heaven when they died. And I didn't have that. 
Now, they weren't perfect, either one of them, but I saw that in them, and it kept drawing me and drawing me because I wanted that. I wanted to know. Eventually drew me right into salvation. The promise to God's people is great favor in the midst of trouble. We talked last week about an uncertain future in our nation, especially for the righteous. Only God knows what we may face in the days ahead. Things we never thought we would face, things our parents' generation would be appalled, things that at one time, even in our lifetime, maybe not even too long ago, we say, that could never happen here. As believers, as Christians, as we go out to live for him, as we go out to tell others about Jesus, Paul was incarcerated. He was before the governor, and all he did was talk about Jesus. That was his mission. That was what he was about. And those are the people God can bring forth his promises. If you're just out there living for yourself, there's no guarantee. Maybe yes, maybe no, but there's no guarantee you're going to receive these things from God. God's love is unconditional. God's promises are not. They are conditioned on what you do. So as we're out about kingdom work, we just may find ourselves these days sheep among ravenous wolves. It may get rather intimidating in the days ahead. It may not, but it may get rather intimidating in the days ahead. So we need to know some things. God wants us to know some things. We have God's favor even in the midst of however bad it gets. We have the promise. When things get tough, God's got this. He's got us. We can fully trust him. He's faithful, incredibly faithful. Even though Paul is incarcerated, and he knew he had now to experience two years of of imprisonment, it says he was granted some freedom to move about Some scholars believe that Paul had a lot of freedom. He could actually come and go as he pleased from the prison. It was a white-collar prison in the governor's palace. It wasn't like the dungeon he was in in Philippians, in the stocks. A lot more freedom here, just the nature of the prison. But some think that Paul could go out, come in whenever he wanted. And this is is a thing I'm sure was very blessing, a very rich blessing He was allowed unlimited visits from his friends, and they brought him provision, and they met all of his needs. Because the Roman government wasn't. Prison there, even the white-collar prison, is not like prison here. You weren't guaranteed three meals a day, heat in the winter, and maybe cool in the summer in some prisons. Uh, He was going to have to fend for himself, but his friends were allowed to come in and meet his needs. So for some reason, Felix granted Paul great favor in the midst of great trouble. And we, of course, know it was God who who made sure his choice servant was granted favor. And do I still have your attention? Yeah, you got to pay attention to hear me, don't you? (laughs) What God did for Paul, he'll do for you. 
and me. God's no respecter of persons. So let's check out this principle elsewhere in Scripture as we move to a close and an application. Psalm 23, 4 and 5, you're very familiar with it. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessing. Even in the midst of incarceration by a ruthless, self-serving Roman governor, knowing there were other ruthless folks lurking all around trying to take his life at any given moment, favor even in the darkest valley for Paul. Notice where the table is set. It's in the midst of a great feast when everything's going well. Hello? When is the table set? Where is the table set? In the presence of my enemies. We always think of Psalm 23. Life is good and God is blessing. It's set in a dark valley. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Where was the table of abundance set in the presence of my enemies? In one of the darkest periods of the psalmist's life, he wrote this. The Lord is my shepherd, shepherd of the sheep, providing adequately for the sheep everything the sheep need. If we, we would be all here all day if we brought out all the verses where God promised we would have everything we need in this life. Provision. Protection. Not just when the sheep are safe within the flock. Safe in the pasture. No, also in the darkest valley. Deeply troubling circumstances and situations. In the presence of your enemies who are breathing down your neck. In the presence of the wolves that are circling these days and are threatening our sense of well-being. Don't be deceived. There are forces that work in our nation that definitely want to take out the church. Shutting down the church during COVID, I, we're not going to get into all the debate of that, but there were forces behind that whole deal. Because I told you the one statement that was made, it's obvious now that science is more powerful than, or, yeah, science is more powerful than God because science was able to shut down the church. And God wasn't able to keep it open. Yeah, that's totally false reasoning, but that's being believed. There are wolves circling. There are dark clouds forming. God promises even then to favor, protect, and provide for his own. It also says it overflows with blessing. It's not a scrimpy meager favor or blessing. It's an overflowing, abundant favor, provision, sustenance, supply, everything you need. Paul's friends were actually allowed to unlimited visit him and take care of all his needs, bring him everything he needed. Here's a precious promise. Philippians 4.19 this same God who takes care of me, Paul, 
And I wonder if when he wrote this, he had this very experience in mind back in Acts 24. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Here's another. This is one of my favorite verses, by the way. I learned this as a young Christian for some reason. Once I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. How's that for favor and faithful promise? Even in the worst of economic times, God promises to favor and provide for his faithful followers. You no doubt have heard, as I, some very concerning economic news out there. What may be coming our way economically in the days ahead? So I have a question for you in light of that news. Are you living for the kingdom? If yes, then no fear. If yes, no worries. You have the promise of God on your side. I firmly believe that. I believe it could be in these days ahead, if it does grow darker and darker and darker as being predicted, there's going to be places and spots and pockets where God's people live. It's going to be brighter and brighter and brighter. I personally believe, you don't have to, I personally believe God is going to be supernaturally protecting and providing for his people. Those who are living for him, those who are kingdom workers, very similar to the land of Goshen in Egypt, I'm not sure if they were spared all the plagues, but many of the plagues hit the land of Egypt. And there was this little pocket. When one of the plagues was darkness, there was this little pocket where there was light. It's like their power didn't go out. Well, that was the Israelites because God was supernaturally protecting them what what was coming on the nation. I believe we have that hope, that sure hope from God if we're living for him. How's this one? Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Not the world and the things of the world. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. See, we kind of remove those conditions from the promise, and we remember that he will give us everything we need. We take out the condition for that to be true. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Precious favor, precious promises, seriously. If we can believe it, if we can believe it, we can live a life of no fear, no worries, no intimidation. 
But if you're like me, when you do come to that place and you're like, oh, something must be wrong because I'm not worrying and I'm not afraid and I'm not intimidated, what's wrong? <laughs> I better start worrying again. Right, Joe? Worry keeps things from happening, right, Joe? If you don't worry, they're going to happen. If you worry, they won't. That's Joe's philosophy. That was our philosophy when we worked at the post office together. <laughs> Not done yet, though soon we are. Because there's, there's so many verses we could use to talk about this, uh, this issue. Here's another one. Psalm 31. You hide them in the shelter of your presence. Safe from those who conspire against them. Your enemies, the wolves. You shelter them in your presence, far from the accusing tongues, those who are coming after you because you love God and you're a Christian and you're living for him and you're not buying their value system. You shelter them from accusing tongues. Praise the Lord. He has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He has kept me safe when my city was under attack. Awesome. Encouraging stuff. Psalm 32, 7. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. That means take heart, be strong, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. Oh, so you're not going to allow me to experience any of that trouble. No, I'm going to hide you in my presence. And I'm going to preserve you from that trouble as you serve me. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. We could spend all day on this, just in Psalms. It's filled with the favor and prov providence of God, even and especially. Now listen, when we read the Psalms and we read these kind of things, we think that they're written during good times. Most of the Psalms are written during trying times. Deeply troubling times, such as we may face as the church, as believers in the future in this nation. And if not us, our children and our grandchildren. Teach your children these things. Make sure they know about this. Talk about them when you're eating and when you're getting up and when you're going to bed and when you're walking along together at work and at play. Teach your children these things. It's really a good idea, actually, to become familiar with the book of Psalms. Amen. Psalms is by far my favorite book of the Bible. If I could be allowed, if I, was, if I was exiled for my faith, like John was on Patmos, and I was only allowed to have one portion of the Bible there, I would choose Psalm 119, all 176 verses of it. I believe I could live, I could survive, maybe even thrive just with that portion of the Bible. There's so much in there. Psalm 119. How about something from the New Testament as we close? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That's a good one. Neither death nor life, angels Demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us 
from God's love. Yeah, that's rich. That is rich stuff. Think about that. Again, too good to be true. The promise of loving favor, provision from God, despite deeply troubling times, despite the worst of times. And it even goes on to say, I didn't put it on here for the sake of keeping the words on the screen, but it even goes on to say, and maybe you're familiar with this, in all these things we're what? More than conquerors. We don't just get by. Too many of us think if I can just survive this Christian life and this trouble that I face, and God's saying, no, no, that's a wrong mindset. You can definitely survive. You can thrive. My plan is you will thrive. And you know why? So others who don't know him see you and are attracted to him. It always comes back to that. The bottom line is always God's after lost souls. We want them to see something different in us, not oddball, positive, that attracts them. It'll be to us. That's not really braggadocio. The initial attraction will be to you, but through you to God, to Christ. That's the way he works. Easy to say, harder to believe for. One more thing. Very, very, very important. Probably where we are. Because I would say everybody who comes to this church regularly believes all this stuff. But God's promises are released and they are activated by faith. I believe God's trying to diligently release faith, which is more than just mentally assenting to something. God wants to release faith, and he wants to convince us. Faith is convinced. It's deeper than just believing. It's convinced. And in doing so, as we become more convinced of these truths, we will begin to live these truths. And as we live these truths, we become effective, more mature, more effective kingdom workers for Christ. Yeah, help us, Lord. Okay, so listen, if you'll stand with me. Sonny, if you'll gather the band and bring them forward. Chris Firestein, if you'll come forward. Now, before you get this in your mind, oh, here we go, going to be another prayer to close. No, this is a little different today, and I don't want you to miss it. Chris, if you just wait for a second, I'll give some instruction then. So God's promises are activated, they're released, and they're activated by faith, which means we just tell God, I'm choosing to believe this. Release faith in me. Chris is going to read and declare Psalm 91 over us as a congregation and as individuals in the congregation. Listen to it intently and receive it for yourself and for our church. Good and loud, Chris, very clear. Psalm 91, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. 
He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. And I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Well, Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus with all thanks, uh, humble hearts. Uh, Lord, lead us to repentance. Uh, help us to, uh, you know, identify our sins and, and get rid of them. Uh, we need all the help we can get. We're, we're sort of stuck on sin, and we gotta, we got to deal with that, Father. Heavenly Father, I, I'm, I'm lost for words, Father, but I know there's a lot of people out here hurting, got... Uh, you have problems that, that are that are just huge. And uh, you have so many promises in your word for, for overcoming. Uh, just give them the faith necessary to bring in the, 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 the power of your name into their situations, Lord. And Heavenly Father, just a testimony here for the church. The Psalm 91 reminded me of Gladys Negron praying for me. And her prayer you know, blessed my life so much and it just reminded me that sometimes these prayers they, they send out because it just touches the Father's heart that the blessings come at our lives and we can't run away from them. They'll tackle us and, and, and force themselves on us and we will love it, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Thank you that prayer does get answered. And Lord, give us the wisdom to identify the answer to the prayers and accept it and there lies our blessings, Father. So thank you, Jesus. I pray for everyone here in your name and uh, glory and honor to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.